Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Kyle Kegler. I get to serve on staff here and get to teach. Uh, every now and then, but you need to know that you don't wanna be in the place that, that I am in right now, and I am angry, okay? And it's not good to start a message when you're angry, okay? And I am angry at a guy named Stephen Langton, and Stephen Langton was a 13th century Archbishop of Canterbury who is responsible, okay, for taking the Bible Okay, in its inspired form and putting chapters and verses in certain places, okay? And we love that because we can go find whatever we wanna, whatever we wanna find. But can I tell you he missed it on John chapter six? So if you are reading along with us, it's 71 verses. Derek, Jeff had John chapter two, it was 25. Derek had John chapter three and it was 36. And now we've got 71 verses in John 6 to deal with. You ready? Because we are gonna get after it today. And I am gonna skip some things and you are gonna go, what's he doing? It's the same way that I feel right now, right? We are about to go over some stuff and we're gonna skip it and it's so painful. And I say that because we're begging you every week, please be reading along with us. Please be studying along with us because we're going John in one semester, okay? And there's so much more that we can't cover. We've got a reading plan on the app. We've got tools to help you on the app. And I will tell you my experience is that if I'll read ahead of time and that I'll do a little bit of study before I get to Sunday, the message sticks differently with me in terms of obedience and application as I go forward. So just a challenge to you, if you're not doing that, would you? Would you let God's word just get all in you and through you and over you before you ever get to the service? And see if I get it right, right? As we kinda talk about that. So um, one of the problems in our country is we're not reading our Bibles and we're not living according to biblical values. We've got, you guys know it, I'm not gonna go through it quick. We've got political leaders who are self-serving and not servant-hearted. That their character's based on just kind of image management and deception and they're passing laws that are so counter to the scripture and biblical values that it's hurting the people of our country. And so it's having an effect on our country. We've got churches okay, who are claiming the name of Christ and affiliated with Christ, but they're compromising on core orthodox Christian doctrines, and they're giving in to the culture. And what's happening is there's a world out there that's watching all of this happen, and it's just the opposite of what Jesus said in John 17. He goes, hey, I'm gonna watch when the church is done right, when relationships are done right, other people look at that and say, I want some of that. And I don't know about you, but I'm watching the world around us and they're saying, I don't want anything to do with the God of those people. Because it would be summarized by there is so much hypocrisy 
that's taking place in our land. And as you think, yes, that's right, and let's go, what does the Spirit of God always do for us that are following Christ? Pointing that finger, it comes right here, right? And so it reminds me, where is the hypocrisy in my life that I am adding to what is happening in our nation and in our churches? And so a great question for you today is, as we're going through this, it's one of the important things of John 6, is where, where is your hypocrisy, right? What are the things in your, not, in your life that aren't aligning with what Christ asked you to do? And man, let's confess those things. And let's get on track and follow Christ with a fully devoted heart. And so we're gonna jump into John 6 today. The key to John 6 is you gotta know who Jesus is talking to. Okay, so I did a little chart here. We had a little fun this week as we were doing this. So this is really important that you understand what's happening here, okay? So there's four different audiences in John 6. The crowd, one through 40, the religious leaders, 41 through 59, the disciples in 60 through 66, and then lastly, uh, the 12 and Peter in 67 through 71. And what's really interesting about this chapter is that every group kind of is asking a question, Okay, and then Jesus is responding with an answer. So if we, as we go through John 6, if you'll keep this in your mind, okay, we'll be able to walk through, and I want you to try and say, what groups am I in? Okay, because what happens is in John 6, 15, okay, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says that the thousands of people, the crowd, wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. Jesus was at the height of his popularity, okay? The prophet from Nazareth was on the scene and they were wanting to make him king. So get that, John 6, 15, and then you go down 45 verses or whatever it is and in John 6, 66, it says that many withdrew from him, many disciples, it says, withdrew from him and were not walking with him any longer. What happened? From John 6.15 to John 6.66, all these multitudes, these thousands, took off. And as we get all the way to the bottom, there's 12 left, and then one guy speaks up, Peter, and gives us something that's really important that we're gonna get to here in a few minutes. So let me pray for us, ask God to open up John 6 to us, and that we might not just hear the word, but that we'd be doers of the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to open up your Bible and to read and to learn and to study and then please, Lord, by the power of your spirit to help us apply it to our lives. We need you to help us do that. Amen. And so we're in the first section, which is kind of one through 40, Jesus in the crowd, and this is one of those painful places. Okay, I am about to go through the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water and not even touch on it, okay? And that crushes me, okay? Because there are such good lessons uh, that are a part of there, but he is at the height of his popularity. They're wanting to make him king. The word is out about Jesus. And then watch for this question, okay, that the crowd asks as we read God's word. The question I would say that they're asking, the consumer question 
is what can Jesus do for me? So let's read, starting in verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, and they said to him, this is after he had walked on water, Rabbi, when did you get here? So you've got a group of people that are really curious. Hey, Jesus, you're here on the other side of the sea, and we didn't see any boats that you could take. What in the world? So you've got a group of people that are saying, hey, I need this guy to explain some mysteries and some funny things to me. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And the crowd is saying, hey, I'm gonna go see that guy because he just fed my belly. Okay, he gave me what I needed. I'm gonna go see him again. And then Jesus, as he so often brilliantly does, doesn't answer the question directly. And he says in verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do? This is the crowd again. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? So they've had their bellies filled. They're trying to understand, get their curiosity satisfied and say, hey, we want more of this. It's a legitimate question. And then Jesus answered and said to them that this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? We wanna see a sign. What work do you perform? And so these folks are wanting to be wowed. They're wanting their bellies filled and they're coming as consumers saying, what can Jesus do for me as we fill in our chart? That's the question that they're asking. And Jesus gives us two Great responses, there's a lot of words in there, but great responses, and the first one is, he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. Think about that for a second. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe, okay? We think the work of God is to do stuff, accomplish stuff, merit God's favor, and Jesus is coming to these guys as they're seeking to get satisfied and saying, hey, the work that you want is to believe. The work that you need is to believe. And Jesus is inverting everything we know about life here. It's what he's been doing all the way John 1 through 6 now. We know this physical life. We know what our daily routines look like. We see this, but Jesus is saying, remember John 3, be born again into this new spiritual world. And this physical world where you earn and merit and do stuff and all that is being replaced by this spiritual world, okay, by grace and mercy, and not working harder to do stuff, but working harder obeying so that your trust is built and your dependence is built upon the Lord. And then Jesus comes back and he says, and I am the bread of life in that discourse. And so there's seven signs in the book of John. There's also seven I am statements in the book of John. And this is the first I am statement that you're gonna hear, gonna hear six more as we go through the book of John. And so let me see if I've got medical people or fitness people or nutritionists in the audience, I really want you to do, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, awesome. Okay, y'all have been trying to tell me for 30 years that vegetables are better than donuts. 
okay? And so every time I go see one of you people, okay, hey, kegs, you need to drop about 20 pounds, okay? 20 to 30 pounds, okay? I promise you vegetables are better than donuts and I just don't get it, okay? I just, I just don't get it, okay? But Jesus is talking to you right here. Okay, basically, I am the bread of life. And later, later on, he's gonna talk about ingesting it and digesting it and taking it in. Let me tell you what he simply means in this spot. Just like nutrients in food, okay, food and drink go into our body, okay, and they go to all different parts of our body and they affect how we look, how we think, how we feel, how we respond, Okay, food and drink, the nutrients do all of that to us. It affects all of those things in our life. And Jesus is taking physical realm food and taking it to spiritual realm and saying, I am the bread of life. And if you ingest and digest and are a part of what I'm doing, it affects every single part of your life. And so the phrase I wrote down as I was studying is that Jesus wants to become so part of your life that it affects every single part of your being. This is not complicated, okay? Jesus just says, I want to affect every single part of your life. And so this isn't a new concept for us, right? It was for them. That's why so many are blown away and they're walking away from Jesus. But for us, we've got the rest of the New Testament. We got Peter, we got Paul, and we got James and all the guys that are writing the stuff. And they're talking about abiding. And they're talking about being in Christ and pray without ceasing and walk in the spirit. And all those terms that we hear throughout the scripture, it's what Jesus is talking about. They're just taking Jesus's idea of I am the bread of life, and they're putting other words to it to help us understand. It's not complicated. Jesus is saying, I wanna affect every single thing that you do. And so for us, how do we go from, when we come to Christ, we all kinda come, hey Jesus, what can you do for me? Okay, but we can't stay there for me, when I was 15, my dad left the family and we didn't have any money. I never saw him again. And I got down next to my bed. I prayed the most inarticulate prayer ever prayed, which was, God, would you help? And I think that's the time when I became a Christian. And I came to him out of desperation. And so how about you? Think about, if you're a Christ follower, when you decided to follow Christ, that you come because you were desperate or maybe you needed God to fix something, or maybe you're, you're an intellectual and you needed to get some questions answered. Maybe you just came for fire insurance. I'm afraid of hell and so I wanna become a Christian. And you know what? I don't care why you came to Christ. I'm just thrilled that you came to Christ. But this chapter is telling us you don't get to stay there. You don't get to stay in that place. And so the first four years after I became a Christian, okay, I was really stuck. I was kind of like, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm moral and that's all I need, right? Which was bad news, okay? But I eventually went to college and I started getting discipled and I started running with guys that were running hard after Christ. And I met a guy named Grant McQuilkin, okay, who's one of our elders. 
okay? That was 40 years ago, about right now, that we first became friends. And ever since then, 40 years, we've been running together hard after Jesus with various seasons of not doing so well, doing awesome problems, trials, not as much time together, more time together, all that stuff. But for 40 years, we've been running together. And then six, seven years ago, when the elders at Dallas said, hey, Kyle, will you and Trish come up here and will you start this campus? We went to dinner. And I said, hey, Grant, Carol, we can't do this without you. And he's got a great line that I'll never forget. And he goes, Kegler, even if you crash that thing into the ground six weeks in, I'm going down with you, right? And I'm like, yes, and it is free. I have never felt the burden of doing this by myself because of him and other people and because of you taking ownership of our church. But I came to Christ out of desperation, but it didn't stop there. I changed my playmates and I changed my playground and what was happening and I moved into a place where I've been walking with Christ to the best of my ability for the last 40 years. And so I just wanna stop and I wanna ask you a question. This is a little, uh, a little dangerous, but I'm gonna give you a discipleship formula right here. Sound a little dangerous? Yeah, okay, so here's what I would tell you, okay? Biblical content Placing yourself under godly leadership in the context of relationships over the course of time equals transformation. Did you get it? Godly, biblical content, godly leadership in the context of relationships over the course of time equals transformation. You wanna know why re-engage and regen work? Biblical content, godly leadership in the context of relationship over the course of time. You, don't wanna, you wanna know why men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies work? Biblical leadership, biblical content, godly leadership in the context of relationships over the course of time. Now that's not a perfect formula. Can We can all jump into a group and play the game, right? We can, but if your heart is in it to grow, okay, it's gonna work. Transformation is going to take place, and so I said a while ago, I'm not interested in how you came to Christ, I really am, okay? I, lo I love those stories, right? I love how you got to City Bridge, I love to hear those stories, so fun for me, but what I deeply care about is that you don't stay there. I care about that if you're stuck and you're not moving towards Christ in full devotion and completeness in Christ, okay, that's what I care about, and we want to help you. And so the question we start with is, Jesus, what can you do for me, for most of us, right? But the question we've gotta keep asking and the answer we've gotta keep listening for is, hey, what areas do I need to grow in? It's what John 6 is asking you as we move down the funnel. And so Jesus says to the crowd, I am the bread of life. I am all that you need. Okay, so we are gonna take a really weird parenthetical three minutes. Okay, right now. Throughout the book of John, okay, there are a lot of conversations about what we call election, the doctrine of election. It happens three times in John chapter six and it happens the rest of the way in John. And basically election is, where is, okay, the line between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in salvation. 
and there have been thousands of volumes written, okay, and there have been a ton of debates, a ton of debates, a ton of divisions, a ton of churches split over this idea of election. Okay, what's, what's God's sovereignty have to do with it and what man's responsibility have to do with it? And so all those thousands of volumes over thousands of years, I'm gonna do for you in about the next 60 seconds, okay? If you want more, which I would encourage you to do so, we're gonna put a one-pager, okay, in the bridge and on, our app, on the City Bridge app that will help you work through what this is if this is one of the questions you have. But we couldn't ignore it because it's in John chapter six and it's all throughout the, the book of John and I drew the short straw today to set those other knuckleheads up to be able to teach it, okay? So I just wanna give you some foundational things to think about when you think about the doctrine of election. Okay, one, the Bible teaches both divine election and human responsibility and the exact line between the two by God's design remains a mystery. And you're gonna have people all the time say they got this thing figured out and the Bible teaches both. And where that line is, I hope you study and study and study. Okay, but when you study, you're gonna find out that the scriptures teach both. Second, God is sovereign and men upon hearing the gospel have a responsibility to believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ alone to experience salvation. Third, every person apart from the saving work of Christ deserves to perish. Number four, no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. We're gonna see that later on in John chapter six. The ultimate basis of salvation is the work of Christ. God does not delight in the destruction of any individual. The death of Christ is sufficient for all and it's effective for some. And the gospel is universal to everyone and is to be preached to all the nations. So I wanna stop right here for a second. The gospel is universal. The message of Jesus in John chapter six was to the thousands. And I wanna tell you that at City Bridge, we don't care what color your skin is. We don't care what socioeconomic class that you're in. We don't care, you care what neighborhood you live in. We don't care how many toys you have. The gospel is universal to everybody and you are welcome here. We want you here. We are calling all people to be fully, devote, fully devoted followers of Christ and we wanna make disciples of all the nations. Okay, that's just the first part. Okay, Jesus and the crowd. And so we're gonna jump to the second part in 41 through 58 where we've got Jesus and the Jews. And we know this because in verse 59, he just says, hey, I just, this conversation we just had happened in a synagogue, okay, is how we know that. And so the question that the religious leaders are asking, okay, is why doesn't Jesus meet my expectations? Hey, it's a good question for us. Okay, let's read verse 41. So, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were listening to the bread of life discourse. They were saying, is this not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And so basically what's going on here, the Jews, the religious leaders, were not looking for somebody from Nazareth that was the son of Joseph. They thought the Messiah was gonna come and was gonna overthrow Rome and put Israel back to the glory days of when David and Solomon were reigning on the throne in Israel. 
That's what they were waiting for. That's what their expectation was from having read the Old Testament as they were waiting for him to show up. Jesus again answered and said to them in verse 43, do not grumble among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. There's some of that election conversation we talked about. But then in verse 47, he says, truly, truly, hey, religious leaders, pay attention. He who believes, not earns, not merits, has eternal life. Very familiar, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So if you're reading this at face value, it's getting a little weird, okay? And so if you go down to verse 56 of this passage, he even says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's weird, okay? But again, if we know what it means, I am the bread of life, that he wants to be so a part of our life that it changes everything, it's not so weird. And it's one of the key things to help us understand John chapter six, and so the Jews go on to argue, they argue, and so we know that the question is, why doesn't Jesus meet my expectations? And you know what he says again? He says, I am the bread of life. He said it to the crowd, and now he says it to the religious leaders. And so, what about us? Why doesn't Jesus meet our expectations? Because the reality is, we all come to Jesus wanting him to fulfill our image of him. We get to make, we try to make Jesus in our own image. And so that was the same message to the crowd and the Jews were gonna hear that I am the bread of life a little differently because they knew the story that happened in Exodus three, okay, which is where God has asked Moses to go deliver the people out of Egypt and Moses is like, uh-uh, I can't speak, I can't talk, it's not me, all that and God the Father says to him, I am who I am. Say to Pharaoh, I am sent me. And so when they heard, I am the bread of life, it was important and it meant something. And it basically, Moses is saying, hey, give me more. That I am is gonna be difficult when I go to Pharaoh and say, I am sent me. And the father just comes back and says to Moses, nope, that is enough. And basically what he's saying, I am the bread of light, is you, you've got to deal, okay, with the character of God on his terms, not your terms. And so we don't get to make Jesus in our own image. We just sang a song that Hayden led us in, you're God and I am not. And so sometimes that counters with what we think our image of Jesus ought to be. And so let me give you some areas where that might be happening in your life, okay? Just to kind of apply this, where we kind of say, ooh, I think I want this Jesus, okay, is the one that I want. And so where are those places? And so we know that Jesus is asking us to spend time with him on a regular basis. We call it our devotional life. 
And I would tell you that you need to be spending hours in a week and not minutes. Okay, our culture is continuing to get strong and move against who we are and what we believe and we are not gonna be able to withstand the culture if we are not growing our faith roots deep. And I'm just charging a city bridge as the next decade, the next 20 and 30 years come, now is the time to be growing our roots deep and spending time with Christ. And so sometimes those of us that wanna make Jesus in our own image, we just say, oh, I'm too busy to spend hours with Jesus in a week. Too much stuff going on. I tell people all the time, when they, oh, Kyle, you're so busy, you lead a church, and I'm like, we're all busy. It's just a matter of prioritizing what you're gonna spend your time on. And so the quote that has most affected my life, okay, is a quote by a guy named E.M. Bounds, okay? And it says this, it says, the men and women inferred who have most fully illustrated Christ in their character and have most powerfully affected the world for him have been men who spend so much time with God is to make it a notable feature in their lives. To be little with God is to be little for God. I'm calling you City Bridge. Would you get with Jesus and would you grow your devotional life and not make Jesus into your own image that I can do this with five minutes a day? It happens in our devotional life. We can make Jesus in our own image sometime in evangelism. We know that Jesus asked us to share our faith and to talk about him. But so often, hey, that makes me uncomfortable. People are gonna think I'm weird. I'm gonna follow the Jesus that doesn't ask me to do that. Okay, maybe in our marriage, in our marriages, maybe we're settling for just uh, being undivorced, okay? And we know that we've got oneness issues in our marriage and Jesus calls you to fight for oneness in your marriage, to dive in. Trisha and I call it, anytime we're having conflict, we talk about, hey, we gotta go into the tunnel of chaos. That's our language. When I'm frustrated with her or she's frustrated with me, hey, we gotta go into the tunnel, okay? And it gets us ready, okay? We know what's coming and we talk about that, but dive into those things in your marriage. Your kids, maybe you won't set boundaries because it's gonna be hard, or your kids are gonna look different, or they're not gonna like you for a little while, and you just choose not to. Maybe it's the chaos of others. Maybe there are family and friends around you, and you see dysfunction, and you're saying, nope, too hard. I'm not gonna dive into that. I'm not gonna go uh, be the good Samaritan and dive into the ditch of the person that's in the ditch beside me. And you run away from the chaos, and you don't run to it, to it because it's uncomfortable or you think you're not equipped. Most of the time in those situations, it can't get any worse. When we run to it, go take the bread of life that you have been given into that chaotic situation. Maybe it has to do with your gifts. We got a lot of opportunities around this place to serve and make disciples, and we've got needs like crazy. But maybe the, your image of Jesus is, hey, I don't have to use my gifts. It's okay if I don't, okay? And I would just tell you, you don't, that's not the Jesus of the scriptures, okay? That's making Jesus in your own image. I don't know if you're insecure about leading. I don't know if you don't feel equipped. I don't know if you just don't want the hassle. Okay, but what, what is it? Where are you making 
Jesus into your image. And you know what he says again in this passage to us that are saying, fit, fit me into your image or into our own image? He's just saying, I am who I am. I am the bread of life. Follow me on my terms, not on the terms that you think is right. All right, we move into that next section, which is that he's talking to the disciples in 59 through 66, and this is a larger group of disciples. And just so you know, disciples in the Gospels does not mean the 12, and it's not even synonymous with believer. Okay, so some of the people that are called disciples in this passage are those that walked away. Okay, so we need to get our thinking right and straight about what that word means here. And so the, co the context is that the audience is now the disciples. Okay, let's read in chapter six, verse 60, and 60 through 63, and then 66. And the question here is, hey, that these guys are asking, this is hard, who can listen to it? Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard all of this, and they're talking about this whole bread of life discourse that has just happened. And the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement, who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are, are life. And then it goes just down in verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Walking with Jesus is really hard. It's hard to walk with Christ in a culture that doesn't want us walking with Christ in a post-Christian culture. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I would just tell you, this is so, uh, just so makes sense in my brain. Just by God's grace, I have been a part of four kind of campus or church starts. So Trisha and I were part of the Dallas team when we started Watermark 22 years ago. We were part of the start up here. I got to be a part of Frisco, and I got to be a part of Rockwall and all that's going on out there, kind of the first couple of years of each of those. And you know what happens? We start with a group of people, and over the course of a couple of years, as it gets hard, and you're up at 5 a.m., and you're unloading U-Hauls, and you're doing a little bit of everything, those start to dwindle. Okay, and the folks that started with you that were so excited about, hey, I wanna start a church, when they figure out how hard it is, they're like, no thanks, I just wanna be a consumer of church. Okay, I just want what it does for me. Okay, I don't wanna be a part and own this thing that God has called us, has called us to own. And so life is hard if you're a Christ follower. And I would just tell you every day, one of the great benefits of my job is every day I get to hear amazing stories of what Christ is doing in this body. And one of the difficult parts of my job is every day I hear stories of tragedy and pain that's going on in our body. It's hard to walk with Christ. But in this section, Jesus comes back Okay, and he's been saying, I am the bread of life. 
But he comes back in this section and he says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So he's saying, I am the bread of life. Now he's saying, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, he's just highlighting, hey, you gotta listen. The words that I am speaking. So as you spend time with Christ and hopefully increase, hopefully increase your devotional life, you're thinking about the words of Jesus because in the words of Jesus are spirit and life. We gotta pay attention to what Jesus is saying. And then we can't just be hearers of the word, we gotta be doers of the word. The words I've spoken are spirit and life. And then we get to the last section right here. It's Peter's confession in 67 and 71 and through 71. And now we've got the 12, the 12. We know the apostles are the audience in this one. And Jesus flips the script on them. Okay, and he goes, now I'm gonna ask the question and I'm gonna look for a response from you guys. And Peter's the one that kind of ste steps up. And so here's what it says. It says, so Jesus said to the 12, you do not, and this is after 66 where all his disciples, okay, had withdrawn and were no longer walking with him anymore. Jesus says, you don't wanna walk away also, do you, to the 12. He's challenging their commitment. Okay, he's watched a bunch of people walk around and Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hey, it's hard to walk with Jesus. And man, there's such great times and it's fun at times, but it is hard to walk with Jesus. And one of the great things about this passage is that it's good news for me, right? Peter has watched it all, right? Everything we've seen so far, John 1 through 6 and a bunch of other stuff that we don't get to know in the book of John, but it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he's watched all of this stuff happen. And all of a sudden, the question's answered and Peter goes, I get it. I get that the spirit life is different than the physical life and it's not about earning, it's about trusting and depending and I can't go anywhere else to get that life. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And so I love that God is patient with Peter, which means that he's patient with me because I'm three steps forward, two steps back. Right, see, as I get a little bit older, okay, and my energy starts to wane a little bit, this comfort and security idol that I have in my life, okay, tends to ramp up like I need security for retirement, right? And I wanna do the leisure things that I wanna do. I love to fish and I love to play tennis. Those are my things, right? That's what I do. And those are fine things until they cross the line and they become an idol and it takes the place of stuff that I ought to be doing in getting to know Christ and for his kingdom. So I'm not saying rest and leisure and all those kind of things are bad things, but you gotta be careful. They can get away from you and they can become idols. So it's good news for me that God is patient. Another thing we learn right here is that people leave Jesus and he doesn't change his message. As all these thousands of people are going away, he's got, no, 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 no. I'll change what I said, okay, so I can keep this crowd, okay, coming back and moving with me. And so this prophet from Nazareth that's now famous, I can keep all that. 
When they wanted to make him king in 615, do you see what he did when you read John 615? It says he withdrew to the mountain to be by himself. He slipped away so that they couldn't make him king. Jesus' message didn't, didn't change. And I wanna tell you too, at City Bridge, our message is not gonna change. Okay, as our culture continues to move against us, okay, or move against biblical values, the deity of Christ, okay, the authenticity of the scriptures, the definition of marriage, abortion, as all that happens, we're not changing, we can't change. The Bible is our authority, our conscience, and guide in everything. And lots of churches are and will Really good churches that we love and care about as this thing gets harder is gonna say, nope, we can't do that. We've gotta change that doctrine to make sure we can keep all these people, okay, and we can keep the lights turned on, okay? And I will tell you, we say this all the time, if we have to grow City Bridge down to 300, we're all in, as long as we're doing it for the right reasons and biblical reasons. But as God is patient with us, Okay, he says in Psalm 103, 14, he said, he himself knows our form. He's mindful that we're nothing but dust, which is true, right? But we're gold dust, okay? We're valuable dust, okay? And we've gotta live, let him shape and sharpen us so that we can walk deeply with Christ. But as God's patient with us, I just wanna be really clear. God is calling all of us to full devotion, the scripture says in Colossians 1 that we're all to be complete in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, I think it's 18, says we're to be fully conformed to his image. And folks, it's this tension. It's why we've got shirts that say high call, safe place on them, right? Because we're gonna call you to full devotion to Christ in every single area of your life. And if you blew it last night or last week or last month or 15 years ago, you're welcome here. What we care about is that you put a stake in the ground and say, from where I am right now, I wanna keep growing. And that's even if you're going back and you're asking forgiveness for the same thing. Ask forgiveness, commit, I wanna start again. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you really don't have the option to give up or walk away because Jesus has the words of eternal life. So stand fast, wage war. Grab hold of Jesus any way that you can. If you're stuck, okay, raise your hand. Help me. Okay, I'm stuck. If you're discouraged, raise your hand. We want to help. If you're ready to give up, we want to help. And the last thing, the application from Peter's proclamation right there is that, man, I just want to tell you this life that's hard following Jesus is worth it. I just wanna tell you, it is so worth it. It's worth it because one of these days, we're gonna be eternally living with Christ in all the fullness and we're gonna have eyes to see the fullness of Christ and we're gonna understand everything that's gone on over these last thousands of years and it is gonna be awesome. The more I read, the more I study, the more I understand, I can't wait and the good news is I'm getting closer, okay? And I, man, I can feel the weight, the tiredness of living for 58 years and there is gonna be some freedom 
right? When that, ha- it's gonna be awesome. But it's not just for that life. Even in the midst of the hard, the disciples saying this is hard, it's worth it right now on earth. Okay, even in hard circumstances at your home, even in hard circumstances with your family, in your marriage, whatever that is, the peace, the joy, the freedom that you can find in the midst of those hard times, in the midst of those addiction struggles, man, it's worth it. And so City Bridge, John chapter six is really simple. Okay, it's just saying to you, number one, hey, Did you know that Jesus is the answer to life? That's really what it's saying. It doesn't matter what your problem is. Every problem is a spiritual problem. And Jesus is the answer. And then it comes back and it really challenges your commitment. Okay, John chapter six just says, hey, are you committed even when it's hard? Even when it doesn't go my way? Even when I don't get the things that I want, am I gonna walk with Jesus? Folks, that's John chapter six, those two things. And so I pray that you would walk out of here today not discouraged, okay, but with, okay, I'm ready to put a stake in the ground. I'm ready to be part of a church, the people of God that are running hard after intimacy with Christ and running hard as a church to change, to lead a revival, to be the point of the spear. Or if God doesn't give us a revival, we'll be the remnant, and we wanna be a righteous remnant, right? And we wanna live because Jesus is gonna save a lot of people along the way. So I don't know what your walk away is for today, but I hope if you don't know Christ that you'll know that you can trust him, he's trustworthy, And if you are a Christian, that you'll put a stake in the ground today and we'll walk with all of our heart, soul, and mind in Christ. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.